Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So this is going to be a challenging podcast for those of you that struggle with accents. As you can tell, I'm sick, so my accent is particularly strong. And I happen to be talking today with Ian Berry, a former veteran, a former forester, a former gamekeeper currently working for Secure Forest and doing all sorts of other things with the Country Food Trust out of the United Kingdom. So he has a very strong British accent. And it happened to coincide that this podcast happens whilst he's having a beautiful stroll in the countryside of the UK. So you hear tractors and <laughs> dogs and, and obviously Ian. And Ian's a phenomenal individual, um, highly recommended to talk to him my good friend of Blood Origins, Ryan Hollingsworth. And I really enjoyed this short conversation that led down a couple of uh, cool little rabbit holes with Ian. And again, it's probably not the last time I chat to Ian. Uh, it's almost a first foray into the whole UK venison scene that I think has remarkable benefits and consequences for the food system in the UK, and we should be shouting from the rooftops in terms of what they do there. So, without further ado, Ian Berry. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name. is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter.
face on here. Oh, don't worry. Yeah. I don't look very good in the morning. It's 5.15 <laughs> in the morning. I got coffee. Uh, my nose is running. Same here. Same and here. We've got alpacas, look. You are... I will say this. This is the first time we have ever done a podcast out of the UK with someone that is moseying through the beautiful countryside of the United Kingdom, Ian Berry. Yeah, this is uh, Mount Edgecombe House. And it's a country estate in Cornwall. Uh, I worked, had the privilege of working here for 28 years. And what did you do there for 28 years? I Ian? started off as a forester, then the head ranger, and then for the last 15 years as the manager of it. So... That's a, a stunning place. It's right overlooking Plymouth Sound and the English Channel. And it has it has it has deer on it. Yes, Ian? yeah, yeah. Fallow deer. The fallow deer are now wild. They're not in parks anymore. During World War Two, they got out, um, but they have their origins in 1515, when one Piers Edgecombe, who owned this land, was given a license by Henry VIII. So. Mm. It's called Mount Edgecombe for a reason, well, Robbie, and that's, that's is why that, I'm, that's why I'm puffing, native... puffing a little bit. I've just walked up from sea level up the hill. <clears throat> come on, come on, Ian, listen. We all know that England doesn't have any hills or mountains. You probably just go, went up like 60, 80 feet, right? Come on now. <laughs> yeah, but to my old body, it seems a long way. It's like going up the north face of the Eiger. <sighs> <laughs> Ian Berry, I am so happy to have you on the Blood Origins podcast, my friend. Um, you were recommended to me by a mutual friend, Ryan. Um, I don't. I actually. Ryan I Hollingsworth. Ryan Hollingsworth. That's right. And he says he's one of your favorite individuals. He can sit and listen to you all day long. And so <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. Um, well, that's. Give us a little bit of background on who you are, Ian. I know you just gave us a little bit. You were essentially a, a forester and a gamekeeper and a manager of an estate for 28 years. But you're, you've got yeah. your fingers in a lot of different pots. I have. Um, I, I was born in a town called Doncaster in Yorkshire, um, and I spent my formative years there, along with my two brothers, uh, an industrial northern town. Um, we didn't have a lot of countryside, but um, when we did get in the countryside, it made it that little bit more special. When I was 17, 17 and a half, I joined the Royal Marines. Um, that was in 1973. I completed commando training um, and embarked on a 13-year career in the Royal Marines that took me all over the world, including the United States. Um, I left the Corps, uh, as I say, after 13 years. And I went to forestry because I was lucky enough to get a place on a forestry course. Um, and that set me on the road to work, living and working in the countryside. Um, I got married in um, 1987. I've got two children. Mind you, they're adults now. Um, they were forging their careers uh, in their respective uh, industry. Amazing. Are you finding that in the UK, just like America, veterans sort of find some solace when they go out and find solace in the, in the hunt, in the forest, in the caretaking, in the stewardship of things? Uh, undoubtedly. I mean, the countryside is good for anybody's mental health. Um, if it doesn't do people's mental health any good, then, you know, go back and live in the totally city. Totally agree. But, totally um, agree. You know, I, I, I was brought up in an industrial northern town, grew up in a little terraced house, no countryside, and I've been privileged to spend 
most of my adult life living and working in the countryside. And um, every time I look out my window in the morning, I walk out with the dog over the fields, go through the woods. It's good for the soul. And in whatever weather, you know, it, it, I mean, this morning it's been pretty typical Cornish grey wet weather this morning. But you, you've got to see it in all its, you know, in all its moods to fully appreciate it and now we're into autumn or fall as they call it over there in the states the leaves are turning color and yeah it's great it's absolutely wonderful brian are there any native deer species to the uk yes there are uh, we've got six species of deer in the uk but only two are native and the two native deer are red deer and roe deer Red deer are very um, are genetically quite close to uh, what uh, in North America you call elk or wapiti. Okay. Uh, they're a server species, uh, and they will hybridise with them. And some in some parks and what have you, they've they've brought them in in the past. The landowners brought. And then we have the roe deer, which is a native deer. Uh, that's not a herd animal. The roe deer. Uh, it was virtually extinct in England um, up until the middle of the nineteenth century. Um, and it was confined largely to Scotland, Northern England. But then they brought, landowners um, could see that there was sporting potential. And they uh, brought roe deer in from, um, from the continent. Okay. And though they look the same as any other roe deer in Northern England and Scotland, they uh, genetically, they, they, you know, you can tell them apart. Right. If you did a genetic analysis, you could say that's from, you know, Central Europe. That's the stock that that one's come from was central europe uh, so so yes there are two native species um the other species four species that we have have been introduced in the 19th early 20th century and we have seeker deer which is another service species and will and does hybridize with red deer which is a concern in some areas uh, we have chinese water deer uh, they were brought in by the duke of bedford at woburn um, they escaped and now uh, all around Bedfordshire, Norfolk, um, places like that. They, they, there are a lot of them because they will have multiple births. Mm. Three, four is not unusual. And then we have the little muntjac, um, which is causing a lot of concern. Again, brought in by the Duke of Bedford and originally and others. Uh, it's escaped and it is now spreading because it doesn't, they don't have, because they're from Southeast Asia um, and really a tropical area, they don't have a set breeding season. They can breed the year round. Every seven months, the female will become, um, you know, fertile and will be covered. She'll have a um, gestation of seven months, and then within a couple of days, she'll be ready to, you know, for a buck to cover her again. And a doe, a, a, a muntjac doe, you know, can can, um, can breed at seven months old. So. Sounds like your munchak and your Chinese water deer are like feral pigs in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got feral pigs now as well. Well, they're, they're actually wild. Uh, there's a lot of wild boar farming was quite popular in the 70s and 80s. And they've escaped. And we've got some areas now, such as the Forest of Dean um, on the Gloucestershire um, Welsh border. And that is, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of wild boar there now. But they're, they're not, sorry. Yeah, it sounds like. And I, I, again, I'm fascinated by the UK system, right? I'm fascinated by, you have a prolific amount of wildlife that seems to have been brought into the country for sporting endeavours. Fair yeah. statement? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and ornamental reasons as well. We, what I didn't mention, we've got another species as well, fallow deer, mm. 
which which is uh, which I should have done because they formed the core of a lot of the historic deer parks, and they were brought in by the Normans because the, the, their home range is the Mediterranean basin, basically warmer climates in in Europe, and the fallow deer um, are now it could be considered naturalised because they've been here since Norman times, and that's what we have here at Mount Edgecombe. There's also roe deer here. But they recurred naturally. But um, yeah, the fallow deer, medium size, about the same size as a white tail, I would guess, in in the states. Mm, mm, yeah. um, and and there are a lot of them. They, they say now we've got more deer in um, in the UK than um, than in Tudor times. You know, Middle Ages, thousand so, yeah, years how ago. How does that? You know, and really, this is maybe the the rabbit hole that I want to run down because you've got a contrasting. You've got a dilemma in that you've got, as you just mentioned, you've got deer population in the UK that is probably at its highest population density ever. Yeah. But hunting is waning in England, and it's waning on multiple fronts. One, you obviously have a very radical anti-hunting establishment in the UK. But two, it seems like the the other thing that you battle is that hunting is for the quote-unquote rich, Right. That it's not for the the common man, the blue collared individual. Give us some, give us, give us a little bit of sense about that, Ian. Hello. Hello, Robbie. Yeah, I can hear you. Did you? What did you hear from me? Um, you were saying about hunting. Uh, um... I think you're losing signal. Are you walking around? Climbing, I think you said. Yeah, I think you're um, you're breaking up pretty bad right now. <laughs> Did you move from your where you were? Hello. Can you hear me now? Dang, we must have lost signal. Uh, hello. I can hear you, Ian, but you're breaking up really badly. There you are. The now, bell, you're coming now. In. now you're coming in. There we go. Hello. Yeah, oh, that's good. Sorry, yeah, I don't know what happened. This is what I would do, Ian. If you can, there's a little, there's a little um, wheel in the corner of your phone called settings. You can, if you click hide in yeah, 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 yeah. video, it may actually. Um, yeah, I've done that. Performance. Yeah, I've done that. I've, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that. Hide it at, um, incoming video. Okay, perfect. Just sit where you were because I think you had you had some pretty good reception where you were. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we seem to have comms again now. Well, what I was saying, Ian, is um, it sounds like the UK is in a conundrum in two in two fronts. Number one, you have the deer density that is its highest that it's ever been. You've also got a very radical anti-hunting establishment that says hunting is bad. And you've also got a system where hunting is viewed as only for the rich. 
Yeah. That the blue collar well, can't get in there. So how do, what, give us a little sense of what's happening. Right. If, if I just, just say that in the UK, the nuances around the term haunting are different to North America and, okay. and Africa and probably other places. Hunting generally in the UK means going out with a pack of hounds, either on a horseback or on foot. And traditionally, they would have hunted fox and mink, otter, um, uh, hare, and they would have done it with a pack of hounds, as I say, either on horseback or on foot. In the UK, that generally is what hunting means. If we're going out um, shooting with a shotgun or a rifle, for example, with deer, that tends to be called deer stalking. There is hunt, hunting as a generic term is creeping into the uh, language over here, but it, 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 it is it is different. It has a different meaning. Mm. Now, with regards to antis, yes, there is a very vociferous antis, and they focus a lot of their ire against the uh, hunters that are the people who go out with packs of dogs. Now, hunting animals was banned by the Blair government in two thousand and four. And hunting now takes the form of drag hunting or trail hunting with a lay of scent and a follow it. But there, there are still people that say that it's used as a cover for hunting foxes, etc. And you get the hunt saboteurs, the antis as we call them, right. turning out to, to stop that activity. Uh, pheasant shooting, um, it can be a pheasant shoot can be anything from a small what we call a do-it-yourself shoot where everybody mucks in, rears the pheasants and um, you know puts a few hundred quid in the pot every year you've got that but then you've got the big commercial shoots that are literally shooting thousands of birds a season so you've got that with pheasant shooting you have pigeon shooting which tends to be for crop protection um, then you, then you've got deer stalking which has been a growth area there are more people getting into it now and very much you know a lot of working people have been getting into that um, then you've got grouse shooting, which grouse are wild birds. They're endemic. Red grouse is endemic to the UK. That happens in the, you know, like North Yorkshire, um, Derbyshire, Pennines, the higher ground. They, they live on high ground. Um, and that is seen very much as a rich man's sport because it is very expensive. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you get a lot of antis railing against that. But it's more, more of a class. I, I always see it as more of a class issue than... Um, you know, than actually to do with animal rights or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you said a car drive No, no, that's fine. Um, so so that, that's to, to put that in context, but I, I think I read somewhere recently that uh, with regards to deer stalking or hunting, as you may call it, the average age is now, people are now in the 50s, and that is getting... Um, you know, becoming more and more pronounced as the um, population ages. You know, I mean, I, I still am fortunate I can fit enough to get out, but I'm 67 years old. Yeah, you know, yeah, realistically, yeah. How, how much longer have I got? I still have gone to Scotland and hunting, you know, stalking red deer on the highlands, but I have to be realistic. My days of hiking over thousands of feet mountains up in the highlands of Scotland are probably, <laughs> are probably it's probably a non starter there. Ian, are estates? dare I say estates or farmers or people that are in the countryside that are in agriculture that obviously have would have some depredation issues tied with these high deer densities are they actively seeking people to come help them with their deer stalking yes yes in some areas some places the, the way it works is some some people um 
are fortunate enough for, for a landowner and a farmer to give them permission to go and control the deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll probably give the farmer a carcass or, or, or come to some, some, some agreement. So there's that element of it. There are those then estates that um, sell the stalking. So you buy the stalking rights for, say, 12 months. Mm-hmm. You pay the estate X amount of money, whatever you agree to, and um, you go out and you, co- you control the deer. Then you've got on um, some estates, uh, Woburn is a good example, Duke of Bedford. I mean, that is an amazing place. They've got so many different species in their deer park, and now with it's just, it's, it, it's, it is absolutely incredible. You know, they will sell trophy shooting where you go out and, and you know, some of the red deer that they've got around Woburn, they're absolutely huge, much, much bigger than the Scottish red deer, but they're the same species. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, been, that's due to selective breeding. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got these different tiers of, of uh, deer stalking, if you like. You've got it where a farmer says, yeah, get out, crack on, you know, and, uh, and others where people, particularly from the continent, will come and pay thousands to shoot, you know, a, a Scottish stag or a... Um, um, you know, a, a big stag in, in lowland England because they do grow much bigger down down in the lowlands than they do up in the highlands of Scotland. Ian, so are, that, that are, the, are the deer populations like scientifically managed? Um, are they like with a, like a farmer? Is a farmer saying to his deer stalker, "I want you only taking ten animals, and you can only take pines." For instance, or is he just like whatever you see, take it out? It depends. So, so, so to some landowners, farmers, they, they just see them as vermin, you know, and, and they want a body count. Other farmers like to see them and might tolerate a certain amount of damage. Um, others look at them as pound signs. Can we sell the venison? But the venison market here in the UK, the bottom's fallen out of that big time. We're getting less for a carcass now than we were 30 years ago. Yeah, so, so it depends on the landowner's whim, really. But I think that is going to change because in England, DEFRA, Department of Environment, Farming and Rural Affairs, uh, had a consultation in the summer. It closed on the 2nd of September. And it's about, um, because, because they want to meet all these targets of tree planting, etc. they realise that they've got to do something about the deer population. So they had a consultation, which I have to say I did take part in, but it was a very weak consultation. Um, and, and some of the things that are in there, are, I found quite worrying. There, for example, at the moment in the deer seasons, um, the buck season, buck stag season, is much longer than the doe stroke hind season. And what they're saying is that they're, they're going to leave the hind season as it is, but have open season on the buck, so you can shoot many any time of the year. Well, to control a population, you've got to concentrate on the females, the hinds yeah, and does. Exactly. You know, so it, it's just crazy. And, and it's illegal to shoot deer at night unless you have a license to do that. And they're on about lifting that. Well, it'll become like the Wild West if we're not careful. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it, it really will. Um, I commented on it. We'll have to see what, you know, what comes of it. Because wild deer in, in uh, Britain don't actually belong to anybody. They only belong to somebody when they're dead. So if, for example... Oh, yep. that's an interesting, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, so, so if, for example, I shot a deer here in, now in Mount Edgecombe and it jumped over the hedge onto another landowner's land and died there, it would belong to him. Mm-hmm. And if I went to retrieve it and pull it off, that would be theft. Mm-hmm. So the deer don't belong to anybody when they're wild. And that is because deer, and, and here's something maybe to explain to those that may not understand the UK system. 
you talked about carcasses already, but essentially anything you hunt, anything you stalk, can be placed into the food chain in the UK and can be sold. Yes, it can, subject to certain restrictions. The person who is putting it into the food chain, has to serve as a, that's called, uh, legally, the team term is primary producer. So I, I am out, I am stalking fallow deer, let's say. I shoot a fallow doe, it's in season. It's my responsibility then, if I'm putting that into the food chain, to make sure that I have done some initial checks on it, that it is not diseased. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a TB issue in cattle over here, as you may have heard. Well, deer can catch TB, though I have touch would have never, never come across it. It's my job when I make, you know, I've shot the deer, then check it over, make sure there's nothing obvious externally. I then grallop the animal. That's that's what we call eviscerating it over here, and I check the lymph nodes to make sure there's no sign of bovine TB or any anything else that's suspicious. I'm happy with that, then I have to tag it with where it's been shot, the time, species, sex, has to have a tag on, and then it will go to um, uh, what's now called an approved game handling establishment. Um, basically, that, that is what happens. There are other little, you know, you, you, you can, for your own consumption, do what you want, basically. Um, and you can also... Um, if you get your kitchen or premises passed as a food premises, you can then sort of cut it up and sell it yourself into the food chain. So why has the venison market bottomed out then? You would think coming out, you know, the two years of COVID, it would have essentially, um, oh, I, and I think I know the answer to this, so I'll just let you uh, explain it. During COVID, you would have thought that venison would have been prime. Right? Yeah. Been like you can't get anything else, so let's get venison. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's that's it's interesting because the the bottom had fallen out of the venison market before COVID. I mean, a lot of people have blamed them, you know, the the COVID because restaurants and hotels weren't open and what have you. But the bottom had fallen out of it prior to that, and one of the reasons is imports. Um, there's a fair amount of venison comes in from farms in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and supermarkets like that because it, 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 it's a controlled product. Wild venison isn't, is it? You know, as we all know, you know, you can shoot an old doe and a young doe and they're totally different cre- creatures oh, from a, yeah, yeah. a meat point of view. So supermarkets like that continuity, um, you know, that control, if you like, of, you know, field to fork, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but also there are other things at play. Um, now, this is not based on any research that I've done. It's just a gut feeling that I have. In the last five years or so, access to thermal imagery and image intensifiers has, has, has become within the reach of a lot of people. It's, it, it, let's face it, it's cheap now, Robbie, compared to what it was 10, 15 years ago. And I think a lot of deer have been shot at night as well, mm. which has flooded the market and it's killed it. Well, as you said, with a, with a massive deer density, you would expect a much more venison being available. Yeah. Which, again, drops the price. Yeah. The, 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 way, the way forward for it, I see it, is if, for example, in a state that I do some management on, they've got a deer park as well as wild deer, I think the way for them to add value to the carcasses is for them to market it themselves as, because they do veg boxes, mm-hmm. you know, they do a venison box. Is that, yeah, is that I, something I, that is, 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 I know it's huge in the United States right now, which is this almost like locavore movement, 
which yeah. is sourcing your food locally, knowing yeah. where it's coming from. That, and that, you would that think is... the venison market in the, in the UK would absolutely capitalize on something yeah. like that. And, and, and I think there is a place where there's a guy up um, um, near Marlborough, um, Ben, and he's got a company called Deerbox. You might want to have a look at that. It's mm. very good. Sorry, I've got a tractor rolling up now. You really are in the, uh, the British countryside. <laughs> I love it. The tractor just going by, you can probably hear it. Love it. Um, he's got a, a, a company called Deerbox, and um, he's an approved game handling establishment. He deals with um, all species of deer, wild boar, and he's now moving into locally farmed meats, you know, beef, lamb and pork. Um so, so you know, he's capitalising on that, and he de- and he deals deals with it straight. It goes straight to the customer. You know, you order what you want, and that's where it goes. And there's more. The, these places are popping up all over, and I think that's the future for venison. You know, to think that we're going to get it into some of the big supermarket chains on mass is, I think, is fanciful. It's just not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. Ian, tell me a little. Uh... As we sort of close up, we've got another, you know, maybe I'll keep you for another 10 minutes or so. Tell me a little bit more about Secure Forests, because that's how we sort of interacted to start with. Yeah. And you talked a little <coughs> bit about, you know, in getting veterans engaged in Secure Forests. Tell me a little bit more about Secure Forests. Yeah. Well, Secure Forests is, is what we call over here a community interest company. So it's not a charity, but it's not a private company per se in, in, in the traditional sense of the word. Um, it, you know, it's a, it's a not-for-profit company so um what um, it was started by a colleague of mine a friend of mine richard pyshaw who is also a veteran uh and he's got all this electronic equipment that is absolutely incredible and he's got monitors in the rainforest in belize for example and if somebody takes a tree down you know poaches a tree for want of a better word a high value you know they they can pick it up with all this kit that he's got um, and, and we've taken that stage further by putting together a land management training course that veterans and blue light services can feed into and, and, and look to careers in the countryside, whether in this country or abroad. Um, and we've, we've got funding to do this for three years from a private um, philanthropic foundation. Uh, we've put together a course, and it's very heavy on what I call vocational training, you know, chainsaw use, tractor driving, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fencing, because a lot of the land management courses that are run in this country, and I've got, obviously, first-hand experience having run these courses, they don't have a lot of what I would call the bread-and-butter training that you need to operate in the countryside. You know, ATV driving, if you want to do that, you've got to pay for that extra. Yeah, hooking a so, trailer up, backing a trailer up. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what we've what we've done, we put together a training package which which includes theory, but it also includes a lot of practical training. So they come out of it with a ticket. When I was a manager here at Mount Edgecombe, for example, every every Easter time, I get inundated with resumes or CVs as we call them, from people that have done degrees in environmental science, wanting jobs as countryside rangers. But you look at that, you look at their CV, resume, and you know that. Where is where is their physical skills, if you like? Mm. You know, I would have to pay for them to do a chainsaw course. I would have to pay for them to do a tractor driving course. You know, I wanted people to come with that experience and those qualifications, and that's what we're, we're seeking to achieve with these courses for the veterans. 
So, so in a nutshell, that is where that is where we're at. Secure okay, forest. You're not just in the. You're not just operating. Secure forest isn't just operating in the UK, is that? No, no. It? No, no, no. We, we, um, they're operating. I've never been in. <laughs> had the privilege of going out to Belize, but uh, we've got things going on in Belize, and there's things being developed in, I believe, Ecuador, um, Bolivia, and some other South American countries and Africa. Hmm. And that is again almost a forest protection type yeah. scenario. Wildlife, pr wildlife protection. Yeah. And their skill sets. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, it's a, as a veteran myself, I, you know, I had no help whatsoever when I left the military to get to, to establish a career in the countryside. And, um, you know, I, I found my own courses, got myself on them. And uh, if I can help, you know, younger people that are coming through that want that, that sort of, um, um, you know, that sort of vacation in life, then so be it. I'll do what I can to help them. Mm -hmm. Um, Kelly, Kelly, come here. Ian, one of the last things I'll ask you is, what do you see the future of hunting or, or stalking look like in the UK? You know, we, we, we almost connected on something that I posted about the, the Country Food Alliance. and The Country Food Trust. The Country Food Trust, sorry, I keep mixing yeah. those up. Um, yeah. The Country Food Trust and the amount of benefit that is generated because of deer stalking and deer and hunting and yeah. the amount of food delivered to people that have you yeah. know, less means than most and that's right and community well, look, kitchens and whatnot and to me that's that's something we should be shouting from the rooftops about yeah absolutely the country food trust does have some quite high profile patrons um in the uk which you know which is great and it's going from strength to strength um one of the things, the reasons it was set up is that food banks were saying that, you know, one thing that they were, that they didn't really have was high quality protein. They couldn't handle fresh frozen meat, fish or anything like that. So some far-sighted people set up the Country Food Trust and developed these meals um, made from game, venison, pheasant, partridge, um, and, and, and packed them in... Uh, retort, what are called retort pouches. It's a bit like MREs, I suppose. But yeah, like dehydrated but, meals. Yeah, but not de it's not dehydrated. It is literally, it, it is a casserole, a curry, meatballs. Ooh, okay. It's not dehydrated. And the magic of it is, it's ambient, so it doesn't need to be refrigerated. And it has a shelf life of a year. So a food bank could order from the trust free of charge, say 2,000 meals, and keep them on the shelf and just hang them, hang them out, you know, and out they go and uh, they're very well received and people are, and they're very good quality as well yeah as you can imagine it's all wild food you know it's just it's it's incredible um and how does how does something like that help the future of of hunting and stalking i think it, it really it, it game meat whether it's venison pheasant has always been seen as a something that posh people eat which we all know is, is is nonsense you know but this is raising its profile it's more accessible I and mean, i have to say even the supermarkets now are selling game at a reasonable price mm. you, you know and, and, and that's great um in fact what last year the the game awards i think it was the large um the, the prize for the large 
best large supplier, believe it or not, went to Aldi, which I believe you have in North America. And and they did last Christmas these amazing game boxes for about 30 quid, 30 pounds. And there's a dressed pheasant in there, dressed partridge, pheasant breasts, all manner of things. What a brilliant thing, you know, to raise that, um, that, you know, that understanding that there is this meat out there. You know, we're all being told we're eating too much red meat, you know, for health reasons, and it's damaging the planet and everything else. Well, you've got this stuff there, the venison, the pheasant, the partridge, you know, let, let's use it. You know, not everybody's going to eat it. Some people probably object to it on moral grounds. Well, fine. When you've got a full stomach, you can afford to do that. Exactly. You, know, when you, you know, when you're hungry, that's a different ball game. Ian, are you, are you optimistic about I've the got to be optimistic. for stalking and hunting? Yeah, I've got to be optimistic. I have to be optimistic. Otherwise, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. 100%. <laughs> One of the other things, issues that we've got at the moment is the, you know, the firearms licensing. It's in a mess over here. Absolute mess. Um, and we had that um, um, shocking shooting, if you recall, mm-hmm. um, last year, just over in Plymouth, literally less than a mile as the crow flies from where I'm sitting now. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's just in a mess. Each each police area enforce um, issue firearms certificates. So for me, it's Devon and Cornwall. Uh, some of them do it very efficiently. Some of them do it appallingly. You know, it's um, it's something that it needs a good shake up. Um, but we don't need to, we don't shouldn't be punished for it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's what's happened. You know, when we've had when we we've had these unfortunate mass shootings over the years, such as. Uh, Hungerford, Dunblane, the one in Plymouth, there's been a couple of others legally held firearms. You know, we have we have been punished collectively for that, which um, you know, which flies in the face of natural justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's the the stock, it's the standard issue I think in the hunting world is that these these yahoos, idiots, whatever you want to call them, right? Just flagrant law breaking individuals yeah that then paint a broad brush across the entire community yeah we're all we're all we're all the same yeah that's that's how i remember when dunblane happened which was shocking it was a school a guy went into a school with handguns shot all these children absolutely awful (coughs) and i had young children of the same age at the time and the tabloid press whipped it up you know could this happen near you are there people near you that hold firearms and i'm thinking why you know why suddenly am I seen, uh, you know, as a bad person? Because I've got firearms. I'm law-abiding. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 yeah. It, and politicians respond to knee-jerk reactions, I'm afraid. And in that yeah. case, uh, handguns were banned. And uh, when they did the inquiry over it, it, that wasn't a recommendation, but they banned handguns anyway. So only now under exceptional circumstances can you have a handgun in this country i've never had a need to have one but um, right right yeah i'm not looking forward to my next certificate renewal i'm sure i'll (laughs) but there we go well ian i very much appreciate you taking a time out of your day um sitting right now on a bench in the magnificent english countryside um taking your dog for a walk and um, I really appreciate the connection, my friend. Um, I hope we get to do it again. Yeah, that'd be great. When does this go out? Or has it gone out live? Uh, no, it's not going out live. <laughs> Thank God for that. 
Um, it'll go out probably next couple of weeks. It'll go yeah. out maybe um, sometime in November, probably. Okay. Yeah, please let us know when it's oh, going well. out. I'd love to, love to do it. And if you're ever here in the UK, Robbie, come uh, come, come on down here to Cornwall. I'll take oh, you out. Oh, for sure. No, for sure. And I'd love to... Um, I think there's a lot more that we can do. And please tell the people that you engage with at the, the Country Food Trust that um, we're big fans of who they are. We're yeah. big fans of what they do. And uh, we are we want to shout from the rooftops around the world of what a great job they're doing. So anything we can do in that regard to help them and their story, yeah, uh, we want to do it. Yeah, that's great, Robbie. Brilliant. Thank you, Ian. Okay, good talking to you. Have a good weekend. Yes, and uh, I look forward to listening to this. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.